welcome to the Dauntless Faith Podcast. This is your host, Leslie Oni. Today, we will continue our in-depth study of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15-17. through 17. Let's read the passage again to get the context, beginning with verse 15 in the ESV. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In the last episode, we studied the first part of verse 15. We learned that when we sanctify Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts, That is when we have deeply settled in our hearts to the very core of our being once and for all that Jesus our Lord is indeed holy and sacred. This week we will continue our study with the second part of verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. First, let's look at the word hope. When someone is auditioning for a role in a play or taking an important exam at school, we tell them, I hope that works out for you. When someone is going to the doctor to get test results, we say, I hope everything goes well. When we use the word hope in that way, there is an implication that it might not go as well as we would like it to go. However, when we use the word hope to describe our faith in Christ, we are not using the word in a way that implies that there is a possibility that we might be wrong to put our faith in Jesus. Our hope in Christ is not a matter of crossing our fingers and hoping that Jesus Christ is real and that we end up in heaven. Not at all. The Greek word used for hope means to anticipate, an expectation, a confidence. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines anticipate as having a view or impression of something in the future. The word expectation means that we have a reason to believe that an event will occur. The word confidence takes this one step further in saying that there is a firm belief in the truth of a statement. Our hope is a firm belief in the truth that Jesus is our Savior and that through Him and Him alone, our eternal salvation is secure. In this hope, we confidently expect that Jesus will return for his church and the whole world will see Christ in all his glory. We anticipate the day when we will be in heaven with our Lord, whether it is through death or through his return. We look forward to the day that we will see Jesus in person and be reunited with all of our friends and family who have also received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The world needs this hope, this assurance that we will not always have to endure the woes of this fallen world. Death, sickness, wars, catastrophic events, as well as the normal stresses of day-to-day living that just wear us down, all of this is temporary. We will either pass away from this world or, in coordination with the events of Christ's return, this world will pass away. Either way, Living in this fallen world is temporary. Martin Lloyd-Jones summed it up well when he said, The message of the gospel is not that the world is going to be made better, but that you and I are saved out of it. This assurance of faith does not mean that Christians are destined to be healthy, wealthy, and immune to the temptations and trials of this fallen world. 
The assurance of faith means that as Christians, we know that the woes of this fallen world are temporary and that we will be spending eternity forever and ever and ever in the presence of our glorious and holy God. This is the hope, the knowledge that we use to comfort one another in our grief and in our struggles. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 remind us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This assurance of faith is the hope that we use to encourage each other to continue in the Christian faith to the end of times. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Knowing who Jesus is and knowing the promise that we will be completely delivered from this fallen world and that we will spend eternity in heaven with our Lord is the reason for our hope. The Greek word for reason means our motive, our reasoning for believing the way that we do. Webster's 1828 Dictionary explains further, Reason is what supports our determination. In the last podcast, we learned that we must deeply settle in our hearts and determine in our minds that Jesus is Christ and that we should set him apart as holy. The word determine in this case does not mean that we are the ones who have decided that Jesus is the Christ and Savior of the world. Jesus isn't Tinkerbell. We don't clap for him and he becomes Lord. He is the Lord. Our faith in Christ is not another man-made belief system that we have chosen to follow. The word determine in this case means that we have firmly settled in our minds and resolved in our hearts the truth that Jesus is the Messiah of the world, that he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to heaven except through him. We need to know the reason for our faith, not only to share with other people, but also to equip us to stand firm in our faith until the end, as Jesus encouraged us to do in Matthew twenty four thirteen. In Acts eleven twenty three, Barnabas echoed that instruction by encouraging the Christians at Antioch to have a resolute heart and remain true to the Lord. So having a reason for our hope means that we need to know what supports this determination in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word determination means having absolute direction to a certain end. Absolute means complete in itself. There's nothing more we need for salvation. Jesus alone saves. Direction means a straight line or a course. Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God and the only way to heaven. Certain end means an assured and unfailing goal. Our salvation in Jesus and his return is a sure thing. In this polytheistic culture that tells people that all roads lead to heaven, how do we know without any doubt that faith in Christ is the one true way to heaven? 
When we live in a world full of uncertainties, how can we be certain that Jesus is the Lord and that we will spend eternity with him in heaven? People need us to be able to answer these questions and other similar questions. This whole idea that we don't need to be knowledgeable in theology and that we can just invite people to church and let the pastor do his job is not biblical. All Christians are called to be ministers of the gospel and called to be ambassadors for Christ. All disciples of Christ have been given the great commission to share the gospel with other people. We need to be better equipped to do our jobs for the kingdom of God. This is why it is important for every Christian to study biblical theology and doctrine. And just to clarify, a pastor and a minister are not the same thing in this case. A pastor is a role that is the head of a congregation, whereas a minister is someone who is a servant or an ambassador. Not all Christians are called to be in the role of pastor, but we are all called to be ministers and ambassadors for the gospel of Christ. And as such, we need to be prepared to defend the reason for our hope. Giving a defense for the reason for our hope is explaining why we know that Jesus is God and the only way to heaven, why we know he is returning for his church, and why we know that we will spend eternity in heaven with him. The Greek word for give a defense means plea, apology, to exculpate, that is to make a defense. The word apology isn't the same as making an apology to someone when we do something wrong or an apology where we're trying to explain to someone why we did what we did that ended up hurting someone else. This apology means putting in a plea for making our defense. This Greek word is where we get our word apologetics. Apologetics is where we defend our position of faith in Christ and give the reason for our hope. The Greek word for defense comes from the same Greek word that is used for the word reason. And the Greek word for reason comes from a third Greek word that means to lay forth in systematic discourse. This defense is not some loose statement based solely on feelings and experiences. Neither is it a statement on social media that angrily condemns someone to hell because they are opposed to Jesus. Both of these responses are based on emotions, but emotions shouldn't be used as the basis for a good defense. Apologetics is a defense that depends on theological knowledge of who our Lord is, which is based on the Bible, that is the Word of God. This is a defense that methodically and lovingly addresses the opposing views with clear theological reasoning. This defense, this presenting our case in a systematic way, is similar to the legal defense in a lawsuit. In a lawsuit, the plaintiff brings a charge, that is a complaint, against the defendant. This complaint can be one item or several items that make up the total charges against the defendant. The defendant gives an answer or a plea that responds to the charges explaining why the plaintiff's charge is wrong. The defendant may also file a counterclaim that brings charges against the plaintiff. There is a time of discovery where the plaintiff and the defendant exchange information about the witnesses and evidence they have that support their side of the case. A deposition, which is part of the discovery process, is where a plaintiff or defendant's lawyer interviews witnesses to find out what they are planning to say at the trial. A subpoena, which is also part of the discovery process, requires the opposing side to 
produce any books or documents that support their charge or their defense. At the trial, evidence is presented and witnesses are questioned. Remember that the Greek word for defense also means to exculpate. Exculpatory evidence is evidence that proves the defendant's innocence. An expert witness is someone who has studied the case and can give their opinion based on their expertise in a given field. If there is any additional questions that come up after the witness's initial interrogation, then the opposing lawyer is able to cross-examine the witnesses to address the new questions. As we dig deeper into the meanings of the Greek word for defense, we see these various parts of the lawsuit within the definitions. This can help us understand how we are to respond to people who ask us questions or people who are attacking our faith. The plaintiff is the one who is questioning the validity of our Christian faith. The charges that are brought against us can be a variety of complaints. For example, they may say that the Bible is not the word of God, or your religion is man-made, or you are intolerant, you are fools, this is all a hoax, Jesus was not really God and did not really resurrect from the dead, your Bible is full of fairy tales, Jonah didn't really get swallowed by a fish, your religion did not originate from God, you borrowed it from all these other religions, and on and on the charges of doubt and unbelief fly at the Christian faith. The answer we give to the plaintiff should be a counterstatement that proves the charges to be false. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should always be prepared to make a defense. The word prepare means to make oneself ready. We need to prepare ourselves for our job as ministers of the gospel, as ambassadors of Christ, as disciples who pursue the Great Commission. The discovery process in a lawsuit is a time of preparation and we need to have the same diligence in preparing our case as effective lawyers have in preparing their cases. Pay attention to what's going on around us. Pay attention to entertainment, to the news, to the various social media news feeds, and discover what are the plaintiff's charges against Christianity, and what sources are they using to support those charges kindly ask questions like a friendly deposition that will help you understand their point of view so that you are better able to prepare your defense. The subpoena is how lawyers find out what books or documents the opposing side has to support their claim. Find out what books, blogs, podcasts, television shows, or websites the plaintiffs are using to validate their claims that Christianity is a false religion. But remember, there really isn't a need to be demanding or belligerent about this. We also need to gather our evidence and seek out our own expert witnesses that support our claim that Jesus is God. The Bible, of course, is our direct evidence as it is the complete revelation of God. This is our primary source of evidence. Spending time studying the Bible in depth on a regular basis is an excellent way to build our case for Christ. There are plenty of good commentaries that can also help us with Bible study. Warren Wearsby's commentary series is a good place to start, while the NIV application commentaries provide a more in-depth study of each book. As far as other evidence, we have plenty of supporting evidence to be found. Josh McDowell wrote several books that can help us with our defense for our faith. He has The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, 
a ready defense, and answers to tough questions skeptics ask about the Christian faith. Apologetics 315 has a podcast called Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology that presents theological evidence supporting our faith in Christ. You can also go to Apple Podcasts and search for theology to find various systematic and biblical theology podcasts that will help you grow in the biblical knowledge that you need to defend your faith in Christ. In addition to preparing a defense and participating in the discovery process, in a civil lawsuit, the defendant has the option to file a counterclaim. As Christians defending our faith in Christ, we also have a counterclaim. One of the definitions for to present, as in to present or lay forth a case, gives the option to present a remonstrance. This word remonstrance means expostulatory counsel. This isn't the same thing as exculpatory evidence, which is the evidence that proves a defendant's innocence. Expostulatory counsel means that we are reasoning with the opposition to show them the impropriety of their conduct and urging them toward reformation. In our case, the counterclaim is that our God is a holy God and we are all sinners who need a Savior. And we are urging those who scoff at our faith to come to Jesus and repent of their sin. The gospel of Christ is not a feel-good, get-rich-quick scheme. The gospel of Christ points out our fallen state and points out our need for a Savior and our need to repent from our sins. This is not a counterclaim that people enjoy hearing, but we must humbly and as gently as possible include this counterclaim in our defense. 1 Peter 3.9 reminds us that God does not want anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. That should be our desire as well, that our defense would lead people to Christ for salvation. The Romans Road verses simplify our counterclaim. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our counterclaim is a key part of our defense because not only do people need to know that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but they also need to know why we need Jesus as our Savior. When we are called to prove our case for Jesus as God, Savior, Lord, and King of Kings, then we are showing evidence and arguments that justify our faith and hope in Jesus as Christ and Lord. This doesn't mean that our vocabulary must be akin to legalese. We can keep it simple. It does mean that we must be knowledgeable about our faith and be able to share that knowledge with whoever is asking, from children to adults. 2 Timothy 2 verses 24 through 26 remind us of what our attitude should be during our defense. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And that is the purpose of our defense, that other people will come to know Jesus as their Savior and that they would also have the assurance of spending eternity with our Lord in heaven. Are we always prepared to give a defense for our Christian faith as 1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to be? To be honest with you, I don't feel like I'm always prepared, and I'm not sure that many of us are truly prepared to give a defense for the reason for our hope. Twice in the last few weeks, I've heard pastors bemoan the fact that most Christians are not prepared to give a defense of our faith. The first time I heard this, I was driving up to Colorado to visit my daughter, and I was stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic from Colorado Springs all the way to Fort Collins. So I turned on the radio and I heard this pastor share a story about a friend of his who was seeking to know more about the Christian faith. This friend happened to be an attorney and made the statement that he has seen better defenses from guilty people than from Christians. The attorney was frustrated with the inability to get concrete and logical answers about the Christian faith from believers. The second pastor was from a local church here in Texas that we were visiting. He expressed his frustration how many Christians can defend their position on any given number of issues, but when it came time to defend their position about the Christian faith, they were clueless. I think most of us can share the basics of the gospel, that is, that we are all sinners in need of salvation, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that through his death our sins are forgiven, that in his resurrection we have new life, and that his ascension holds the promise of our future home in heaven. But do we know enough about these topics to answer in-depth questions or to recognize and counteract any heresies that come up? I'm also discovering that as our culture becomes increasingly more polytheistic and philosophical, that I am finding my ready defense to be weak. For example, can we explain the difference between being led by the Holy Spirit versus being quote-unquote led by the universe? Can we explain why an ancient book, that is the Bible, is the very word of God and is still significant and authoritative for us today? We need to increase our knowledge and understanding of the Bible in order to prepare ourselves to answer questions about our faith and be ready to share the gospel of Christ. Defending the reason for our hope in Christ should be more thoughtful than simply quoting scriptures and memorizing answers by rote. Many people are searching for a deep spiritual experience. But do we have those deep personal experiences with our Lord throughout the week? Do we make time for our own personal Bible study and personal worship where we get to know our Lord and understand why He is so amazing? Or do we only spend the one or two hours at church on Sunday morning in worship and call it good? Every time someone asks us a question or attacks our faith, we have an opportunity to offer a personal and vibrant relationship with the Lord and Creator of the universe, and we need to be better prepared for those moments. We are not apologizing for our faith. We are giving a plea or an answer to someone's question. We are laying forth the reasons for someone else to consider giving their life to Jesus. One of the greatest difficulties in presenting the gospel of Christ these days is the matter of sin. 
No one wants to be told what sin is. They just want to be free from any conviction of living wrong. They want a cuddly teddy bear God who gives them the freedom to be whoever they want and live however they want. But this isn't the true gospel of Christ. I'm currently reading a book called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul to help give me supporting evidence in my defense of a gospel that demands repentance. I'll share a small excerpt from this book and encourage you to purchase this book for yourself to include in your studies. This is from pages 12 and 13. I wanted to know him in his majesty to know him in his power, to know him in his august holiness. Though I was deeply impressed by the notion of a God who created a whole universe from nothing, I was troubled by the fact that the world we live in is a place filled with sorrows. It is a world riddled with evil. My next question was, how could a good and holy God create a world that is in such a mess? As I studied the Old Testament, I was also bothered by the stories about God's ordering the slaughter of women and children, of God's killing Uzzah instantly for touching the Ark of the Covenant, and by other narratives that seemed to reveal a brutal side to the character of God. How could I ever come to love such a God? The one concept, the central idea I kept meeting in Scripture was the idea that God is holy. The word was foreign to me. I wasn't sure what it meant. I made the question a matter of diligent and persistent search. Today, I am still absorbed with the question of the holiness of God. I am convinced that it is one of the most important ideas that a Christian can ever grapple with. It is basic to our whole understanding of God and of Christianity. The idea of holiness is so central to biblical teaching that it is said of God, Holy is His name, Luke 1, 49. His name is holy because he is holy. He is not always treated with holy reverence. His name is tramped through the dirt of this world. It functions as a curse word, a platform for the obscene. That the world has little respect for God is vividly seen by the way the world regards his name. No honor, no reverence, no awe before him. Our God is truly an awesome God. He is worthy of all our praise, and He is worth the time and effort it takes to get to know Him and to prepare our defense for the reason for our hope. Psalm 90 verse 12 reminds us, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please join me next week as we continue our study on 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15-17. through 17. For more information on Dauntless Faith publications and other Bible study resources, please visit our website at dauntlessfaithpublications.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram.